You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Ah, look, I'm not sure if you've ever been in those scenarios where uh, you go to work and it's, it's happening it's happening in the, the lunchroom. You, you're there and you're, you're talking about your faith and someone says, oh, you, look, yeah, that's nice. I'm not that religious. Or uh, we're thinking, you know, you guys have been fireflies. Uh, we've been learning that for the past three weeks, that you're the light of the world, says Jesus. And so some of you have rushed off this week and in, in all of your fervor, you've, you've gone out to people and you've said, I, I just want to introduce you to a good friend of mine, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hopefully I haven't done it that way, but you know, in, in your enthusiasm to go and share your faith, you've gone out and, and people said, look, you know, I understand, look, I'm not, I'm not one of those religious people, you know, I'm, I'm not into that. Or even worse, you get you up against people that are almost, um, they're antagonistic towards religion. I don't want to know any of this religious stuff. Anyone been there? Anyone experienced that? Is it just me or does everyone have a problem with religion? And what we're going to see tonight is it's not just non-Christians that have got a problem with religion. It's actually Christians have a problem with religion. And in fact, that is the very reason why Paul was writing to his beloved church in Galatia, because there was all these divisions, there was all these strife, there was all this disunity in the church. And Paul is saying, if you guys want to fix this up, you need to lose your religion. Is that God? That's, that was, oh, okay. I asked him not to fumble it, and I was just wondering if it was a phone call. Yeah. Paul says, you've got to lose your religion. Because everyone's got a problem with religion. And, and it, may be the sort of, it may not quite be the way that you're thinking about the problem. Let, let me explain it this way and give you a brief history of religion in the 20th century. You see, back in the early 20th century, in the 1900s, um, to be religious, that, that, was a, that was a privileged position to be in, right? Like if you, if you weren't religious, you were on the outside, you were ostracized. You know, to, to be religious was a privilege. All of culture knew that God was important. And so you had religion. And in the West, that religion was called Christianity. Then you get to like the 1950s and 60s. And there are a couple here that maybe have had the privilege to live through these eras. But you get to the 50s and 60s and there is this uh, amazing thing happened called the rise of the space age and of science. And they send a man onto the moon and all this scientific reasoning suddenly meant that society, all the leading institutions, the academia, the cultural institutions, all the leading minds thought, you know what, we've got science. Science can explain all the natural wonders that you needed religion to explain. It can explain all that. And so we're predicting a religionless future, the age of progress. And then now we've, just, we've clicked over from the 20th century and we're into 2015. And have you noticed how the newspapers more and more are talking about religion? They were predicting a religious-less future, and yet more and more people are talking about religion. In fact, uh, there are all sorts of articles uh, that are talking about the way that religion is actually on the rise again. Fifty years on, it's right in the middle, and that's causing a problem for us. It's a real problem. And here's the problem. The big problem is the modern person and the unbeliever, in some sense, is upset with religion. And I don't half blame them. I'll, have, I'll, put, I'll be the first one to put a hand up to say, we as the church have stuffed that throughout history. And so they've got every reason to be angry at religion. They've got every reason to be angry at God in that respect. And yet, I don't know about your friends and my friends, you've just got to look at the iTunes top 20 to see the spiritual yearning that is coming out of people's hearts. Why is it that every second song from Bruno Mars is about heaven or religion? Or... 
there's, there's, it's because there's a yearning. People don't like religion, but at the same time, they want something beyond and they want God. Now, what I want to say to you guys over the next five weeks is that whether you're a believer here in traditional religion as people would see it, or whether you're a believer in God, or whether you're not a believer, or whether you're just not sure what you believe tonight, what we've got to do is we've got to have a look at some of the criticisms of religion because, you know, smart people hate religion and sensitive people hate religion. And so, what do we say to that, Christians? You know, instead of saying, oh, wait a minute and getting all defensive, maybe we can look at some of those different criticisms. And here's why, because we sort of come to understand that the leader of our religion was the one leader that was always savaging and ravaging religion. <laughs> Jesus is always trying to smash religion repeatedly and relentlessly. But, you know, Jesus, he had, we'll see, he had a, a really different motivation from people of our time to get rid of religion. And here's what it was. He was trying to clear the way for his message and what we call the gospel. Now, what that means for you and I over the next couple of weeks is, is really important because if you're a Christian, why you've got to get this stuff? Is that unless you listen to the various criticisms of religion that modern people use, you might lapse in, back into religion instead of the faith that Jesus called you into. You become religious yourself. And on the other hand, if you're a person who doesn't believe tonight, you need to hear this critique because otherwise you might begin to confuse Christianity with religion. Now, by the way, isn't that our defense when we come up against these people that, that don't like religion? What's the first thing we often say? Oh, that's okay. You know, we Christians, we're not religious. Right? Anyone ever said that one? But then, I don't know about you, but then as I was getting ready for this series, I'm thinking, I don't actually really know what that means. I haven't thought it out. I haven't processed it. So why don't we do a series for five weeks called Losing My Religion? <laughs> Crash test dummies. That's what all of you are. Fireflies, now you crash test dummies. Um, what does it mean Christianity is not religion? Okay, here's, here's, where we're, here's where we'll go tonight. Just simply, uh, we'll look at what is Christianity. Then we'll look at what is religion. And they'll look at how we Christians can actually confuse Christianity with religion and become religious ourselves. And then we can look at why we can smash the whole lot in a piece and lose our religion. The first one is what, what is Christianity? Verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles. Paul says, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. In simple terms, the principle is a Christian is someone who is called. And there's a problem here immediately because the word uh, called in the English language is not what it really means in the Greek. The Greek word there is kaleo, which means to, to call out. Actually sounds like call, doesn't it? Because that's where we get the word call from, from the Greek word. Um, but the word used in the Bible is totally different from what our English word is. And here's why they're different. Because our words are powerless, right? Now, here's how we know that words are powerless. We knew that as kids with our parents. You know, when you're in like the final game of Alex the Kid on the Sega Master System and your parents say, it's time for dinner. And you go, yep, I'm coming. Yeah, just. And then your parents say, Sam, it's time for dinner. Yeah, just one more minute. I'm almost killing the evil dude. And at Sam, time for dinner. Yeah, I'm almost there. I'm just leveling up. Okay, so I'm sure you've all been there. <laughs> you see, You see the difference between... Kids getting called to dinner and getting the kids to dinner. There's a difference between the call and the action. And the reason this illustration is so good, if I might say so myself, 
is you get to see both sides of what we're trying to say here, the problem with the Greek word is. And that is the first thing is that in the English language and what we come to understand as humans is a call is only a call. It's not an action. Remember, there's word and then there's deed. But it's not bringing anything into reality. But there's the utter contrast of when the Bible talks about God's call, it's totally different. God's call is an action. Right, the, the big guy upstairs, he says, come on, in the beginning of the Bible, he says, let there be light. What happens? Boosh, there's light. He doesn't say, let there be light. Hang on, I'm just going off to rustle up a bit of light in the closet. Coming. You know, when Jesus, and he's with the boys on the boat, and they're about to sink, and they're scared for their life, and, and Jesus says to the storm, peace, be still. What happens? Still. Jesus doesn't like a peace be still and then go whip up a little look anti-tornado to sort of nullify the storm. You know, or, or when, when Jesus says to Lazarus, his best friend who's dead in a tomb for three days, Lazarus, arise. What happens? The guy gets up. Jesus doesn't go, Lazarus, arise, and then sort of runs into the tomb and sort of gets under his arms like some scene out of Weekend at Bernie's. You know, and <laughs> when God calls you, it's an action. And some of you are wondering tonight, well, how do I know if I've been called? How do I know if I've heard the gospel? See, the gospel is the call of God on your life by grace. By grace meaning you didn't do it. It's the call of God on your life. And you're thinking, how do I know that I've been called? Here's how you know. You know that someone or something has taken you up. You didn't take it up. You, you get this sense that something is pushing in on you from the outside. You get the sense for all those Star Wars fans outside that there has been a disturbance in the force of your life. You sense something's push, pushing in on you. That's what it means to be called. In other words, there's an adventure to Christianity, right? You know, three kids are in the nursery upstairs, Wendy and Michael and John, and they go off to sleep that night. And they don't dream up that there's going to be adventure the next day. But then this little guy in a green suit comes in called Peter Pan. And he comes in. They didn't dream up adventure. Adventure found them. Don't all the great adventure movies work like that? They don't go looking for it. Frodo didn't go looking for an adventure. The adventure found him. <laughs> it's exactly the same way it works in Christianity. Now pausing for a bit so I can let this sink in. To be a Christian and not to be religious, another way to put it is, is to actually be, to be confronted with both a positive and a negative. And here's what I mean, that, that far too many people, when they're thinking about becoming a Christian, they only approach the positives. Too many people say it like this, oh, I'm interested in Christianity. And so, look, I, I think I've always been a Christian. I think I've always been like that. So I'm going to become a practicing Christian. Right? I'm going to become a practicing Christian. Now, which, by the way, is how the modern person thinks and talks about religion, right? They say, oh, are you a practicing Buddhist? Or are you a practicing Jew? Or are you a practicing Catholic? Or are you a practicing Protestant? Now, the neg that's the positive, but the negative that they miss is this, that to talk like that actually assumes that you somehow know what you should be doing with your life when it comes to God. It's like we, I've, I've learned this in, in, in all the leadership readings that there's, there's this thing whenever you start a new job that you start any new role in life with what they call unconscious incompetence. <laughs> and that's exactly how you start with Christianity. You come into Christianity with, how are you to say that you know what God's going to do with your life? You're unconsciously incompetent. Case study? Want a case study? 
Not me, I'm about to give it to. It's like the most agreement I've had from any of you. You've never pulled a notebook out in your life. Oh yeah, I'm taking notes on this one. No, the Apostle Paul, the guy that wrote the book of Galatians. Philippians 3. You know that classic passage, you Christians, of when when Paul's rattling off all the amazing thing that he's done. Oh, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. You know, when it came to obedience to the law, flawless. They talk about talking himself up. Now, here's what he doesn't say in that passage. He doesn't say, oh yeah, I did all these things. I was incredibly religious. And then I found Jesus Christ and all of it clicked. Nor did he say, I was being religious and then I added Jesus and it all makes sense now. No, Paul says, I considered all that I profited from rubbish. I considered it excrement. You want to know what the translation is? Oh, you know what the translation is. I've done enough swearing in church in the past couple of weeks. Here's what he's saying in that passage. Paul is saying, the way I became a Christian was I lost my religion. Paul says to you tonight, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to lose your religion. You've got to lose your religiosity. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, well then, all right, well that sort of seems, that's what Christianity is. It's to be called, it's to be taken up, it's to be swept up. I sort of get that. Okay, well then what's religion? Here's what religion is. Religion is a way of dividing the world into two different kinds of people. It's a way to justify yourself. It's a way to deal with the power behind life. It's, it's a way to divide. That's what Paul was getting at in verse 7 of Galatians here. He says, verse 6, I'm astonished you're deserting the one who's called you. And now as a result, you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And some of you are throwing you into confusion and they are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. What's happening here? perverting the gospel the the what was happening here is that the the galatian christians they were actually jewish christians so when christianity took off and this whole jesus movement thing happened it went from jerusalem and judea and to the ends of the earth and and outwards and they started planting churches and and suddenly this church had been planted up towards modern day turkey which is still a while away from jerusalem but most of the people in that church were traditional jews by faith originally and this whole christianity thing was a whole new way of life and so as a result these uh, there's a whole bunch of jewish christians and then suddenly all of these non-jewish we call them gentile people come in and become Christians and, and they're Gentile Christians, they're Greeks and they're the pagans and they're all the non-Jews and they, this incredibly irreligious bunch come in and, and they start doing church with them and it, and it builds a lot of tension. Here's, here's, the sort, here's, here's the sort of tension. Let me try and set this up as dangerously as I can. Um, it's the sort of tension that would be like this. It, what, what happened in that church, and this is why they had the problems, is this. It's almost as if... Um, if, if, a, if a whole float of, um, of people from the Mardi Gras that just happened last night trounced into Northside with um, glow sticks and all the glitter and all the, all the fancy stuff that is happening up there and they just decided to do church because they'd given their life to Christ and they want to know more about Jesus. Which, by the way, there are a bunch of Christians that are part of all of that, including some of my friends. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going down that, that path there, but... What I'm saying is, how, how would you react as a church? That's awkward. That's tense. 
Well, what are you supposed to do with that? Because I don't know. Like, what's all this supposed to mean? That is the level of tension that was existing in this church. And so as a result, the Galatian Christians were coming in and saying, oh, you can't act like that. You can't behave like that. You can't dress like that. You can't have the glow stick in here. <laughs> Let me show you how religion works. Religion divides the world into two types of people. Simple as this. The good people and the bad people. Us and them. What does that look like today? Today, it's classic for you and I to say, moreover in our minds, it's, it's, it's classic for us to say, ah, in life, there's the big sins and then there's the little sins. The big sins and the little sins. And we all know what the big sins are. You know, the big sins is bribery and extortion and fraud and sexual immorality, all the obvious stuff. Then there's the little sins like, oh, I didn't love my neighbor this week. Oops. Oh, no one's perfect. <laughs> or, you know, I, I, I committed to my friend that I you know, didn't quite make it. Didn't honor my, I didn't let my yes be yes and my no be no. Oh, oh. But that's a little sin. So I had the big sins and the little sins. And so religion is always a way of dividing the world up and... And so some of you are saying, yeah, I'm not religious. Look, yes, yes, I understand you, but I'm becoming more tolerant. I'm, you know, I'm getting to know this Sydney life and I'm trying to embrace the diversity that we have in this wonderful city. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm being tolerant, I'm working it through. Look, what I'm pressing on you tonight is, is, is this. You don't have to be a believer to be religious. In fact, religion's not only a way to describe differing belief systems. In fact, what I'm trying to say is religion at the deepest level is a part of how the human heart operates. Put it this way, the only difference between the Liberal Party and the Labour Party is where they divide the world. And even within that, you've got these things called factions, you know, within the Liberal Party. You know, and you, you're right of left or left of right. You know, you're sitting within, is this where you divide the world? Here's another one. Even, look, even the skeptics are being religious. You know, that person at work that is saying, you know what, I'm not religious at all. You know, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm not like those religious types. What's just happened? They've just divided the world. I'm the tolerant one, those religious intolerant ones. Why do we divide the world up? You know, why are we dividing? Look, re, re, you can have the religious religious you can have the sceptically religious. You can have the atheistically religious. Atheism's a religion too, by the way. <laughs> but all of them are operating from the same dynamic that Jesus comes into the smash. And this is what he's trying to smash. What he's trying to smash is this, that the ungospelized heart, and we'll talk about that in the next couple of weeks, will always inherently want to be superior to someone else. So the religiously religious, they're saying, I've got my values, unlike them. And so I'm superior. It, the, the atheistically religious are saying, yep, there is no God. I've got a handle on this. I'm not like them. They're just trying to be superior with their views. The skeptically religious is saying, I'm tolerant. I'm not like they're just being religious. <laughs> and, and so why is that? Outside of this dynamic that we'll see that Jesus is trying to smash, you will always be looking for your own distinctives in order to elevate yourself above the other person. That's what religion is at its heart. So, real case study from Sam this time. You want to know how I've discovered how my heart works? You want a case study? My one I had the other week that I realized that I was doing was this. I, I call it the, 
the sarcasm of geographic differentiation. Huh? And so I went, for, I went to a wedding um, out at Parramatta, at Brendan and Shannon's wedding, and we're hanging out after the wedding there. And, and this is how it works for us here at Northside. You go hanging out with the friends, and you say it just like one of the Pharisees. You say, oh Lord, I thank you that I live on the lower North Shore of Sydney. <laughs> Anyone ever done that? Oh, thank you. Don't leave me. I was thinking, <laughs> oh, we're getting somewhere. We're only going to need to do three weeks together. The sarcasm of geographic comparisons. Uh, that's the beginnings of religion, of religiosity, of distinctions. I'll give you another one. My wife, Kristen, helped me work this one out. <laughs> Have you ever watched... Have you ever watched uh, girls and ladies at the mall when they go shopping on a Saturday morning? Question, for, particularly for the girls, is who do the girls look at when they go shopping? Is it the guys or each other? Each other. Thanks, Sandy. More real. Bless you. Honest. <laughs> <laughs> they look at each other. And, and how do the girls look at each other when they go shopping at the mall? It's like this. I call, I call it the three-look stare. It's sort of like this. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> is that how it goes? <laughs> The three looks, oh, I can't believe she's wearing that top with those shoes. <laughs> what is that? You're dividing. You're feeling superior. The other way, it goes the other way around. It's, it, it's the reverse. It's when the, the people uh, from, from those suburbs where you've got the battlers and they, they come in and they're hanging out and they, they come to a place like Northside or they drive through Potts Point and they say, the way, they say to themselves, oh my goodness, I th- I, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those rich snobs. What are you doing? You're being religious. You're dividing. And it's these small divides, church, that are constantly causing the strife with church. It's the thing that Paul says all throughout Galatians that are brush fires that if you don't get that in check are going to burn down the fragile thing that is called the church. Because religion always divides. So now the question as we're finishing up tonight, how do we know if we're being religious? Because it's tough to spot. You know, religion can be a bit like those black ink dots that you have, that psychologists have. You know, those black ink dots that are supposed to be a picture. And you see them on the internet. You know, religion can be like that. Like, you can spend a whole lifetime looking and going, it's just a black dot. And then you have that moment where you see it for what it is and you go, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's a butterfly. <laughs> and every time you go back to the black dot, all you ever see is a butterfly. You see it for what it really is. Here's what I'm going to try and do now. I'm going to try and frame this up so we can see it for what it really is. I'm going to cast a net over all of you and hopefully catch you tonight. This is how we Christians can muck up our Christianity and become religious, particularly the church. You can have, here's the first one. You can have churches that teach that you are saved by surrendering your life to Christ, but you've got to have right beliefs and right behavior. Some of you might have been from one of these sorts of churches. They say, surrender your life to Jesus and you must begin to live this disciplined life from now on. Now, that sounds biblical. It sounds very biblical, doesn't it? But it's actually the very pathway to, to religion. And here's how. If people think that they are saved by a strong surrendering to Jesus in their life and the right behavior, then what's happening in that moment? Suddenly, their strong belief And their good behavior becomes a reason that they are right with God. And that, friends, is the beginning of religion.
It's so subtle. And so what you do is what that turns you into is, is what I call um, grumpy Christians, you know, pouty Christians. You know, the ones that like, they only feel like they're being right with God if they're, they're grumpy all the time. Oh, what's up with you this week? It's all right. I'm just surrendering. I'm surrendering to Jesus. Okay. What happens is at the end of the day, they think it's by the size of that surrendering faith that you're right with God. And yet Galatians, as we'll see, is that you are saved by faith alone. You are saved by the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, not the size of your faith. That is dangerous. Then there's the one in the middle. This is even, this is even more dangerous. This is the churches that teach you this, that it really doesn't matter what you believe in God and all your different religious beliefs as long as you're a good person. Now, why this is dangerous is that this is subtle. That sounds wonderfully tolerant, doesn't it? I think some of you tonight going, yeah, I can sign up to that brand of religion. <laughs> but if you look at it deeper... It's actually incredibly intolerant. I tell you why, if you've, if you've got to be a good person in order to be right with God, then what hope is there for the bad person? Case study. If you preach that gospel to Andrew Chan and Sukumara and the, the Bali Nine drug smugglers 10 years ago, what hope for them would there be? And yet we know this week that Andrew Chan was an, made an ordained minister. He's one of our brothers in Christ. What hope... Would there have been for that guy if that was the gospel that you simply, it doesn't matter what you believe, you've got to be a good person? You know, whereas that is not the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel Jesus preached that my father is preparing a table for everyone to come and have dinner with me and for everyone to have a, a feast. And in fact, it's you, the bad people, that are the first ones that are getting in. That's the gospel. And so that is the beginning of religion where you begin to think, oh, it doesn't matter what I believe. As long as I'm a good person, I'm right with God. Uh, and, then, and then if I'm good enough, then God owes me. That's religion. You haven't lost it. You've just gained religion. <laughs> and then the last one is the churches. And so you've got the, the churches, you know, saving faith plus right belief and actions. Then you've got doesn't matter what, as long as you're a good person. And then the last ones are the churches that they're in, incredibly intolerant of the small little differences between you. You know, the way you dress. Oh, you can't dress like that. I went to a church like that once in Louisville, Kentucky. They, they said, you know, I, was, I was at a course and the teacher said to me in the course, when you come to church tomorrow, just make sure you don't wear your blue jeans. Um, I'm like, I don't, I don't own blue jeans. I've got my black jeans with me. I hope that's good enough. But, you know, since when does jeans need to be right to walk into the sanctuary with God? But all right, you know, I'm, it's so small indifference. You know, the other end of the spectrum, you know, those churches that they're, they're going to give you 15 ways that you must date each other. You know, and before you date anyone in the church, you've got to come and have a meeting with Pastor Sam and you sign a covenant. <laughs> what is that is exactly what the Galatian church was doing. You can be a Christian, but come sign our covenant. You must date this way, you must dress this way, you must diet this way. Three different ways that we can get caught by the net. And that's how we can muck up our religion and our religion that we call Christianity if we ever want to call it a religion. And that leads us to the last point. I know we've got to wrap this thing up. The question is, how do we smash that? Why should we smash that? How do we lose our religion as Christians? This is what we're going to explore for the next couple of weeks. Verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Verse 3 of Galatians chapter 1. 
Grace and peace be to you from God our Father. You know, you know those salutations? Is, is it just me? They're, they're the bits of the Bible that I always just skip over. It's like when Paul's waffling. Yeah. Oh, yeah, grace and peace be to you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, next. Okay, now we get to the good stuff. But this is the good stuff. Grace and peace be to you, our God and Father, who in Jesus Christ has saved you from the evil of this age. From the evil of this age, Jesus Christ has come in to save us. Every other religion teaches, uh, gives you a leader who comes along to teach you. This religion, if you want to call it that, gives you a leader that's here to save you. He's, he's from this present age, there is a, there is a cosmic battle going on. and, and th- there, is, there is bullets flying. We are in no man's land, in some Gallipoli-like no man's land, between two trenches, between good and evil. We are caught up in that. There is too much going. You know, you know our problem is? You know, I've, I've heard a, a saying that says, if you are calm in the midst of chaos, then clearly you haven't understood the gravity of the situation. <laughs> and when we skip over bits like that, you know what our problem is as Christians? We're too calm. We're too calm. Oh, grace and peace be to you, the Lord Jesus Christ. No, we have a leader in our religion, if you want to call that, has come in not to teach us, but to save us. And what it means for you tonight is that if you've come in thinking that Jesus is here to teach you, That's no more cruel than throwing a drowning woman a manual on how to swim. Here's what the gospel is and we're going to explore. The gospel is this. The gospel is you are, if if he's come to rescue us, the gospel is you are in more trouble than you dare imagine tonight. But if he's come in to rescue you, then you are more loved than you ever dared hope. And here's how that thing, that thing called the gospel, begins to eat away at the barnacles on our Christian life that we call religion, like acid. If you're in more trouble than you dare imagine, and you come up and you wake up and you realize that tonight, then it humbles you. You realize that there's no such thing as big sins and little sins. (laughs) We're all in trouble. And it humbles you. And what that means is you no longer start living life feeling superior to anyone else, no matter how good you think you are as a Christian. But at the same time, it affirms you. It lifts you up. And if you receive that affirmation that Jesus Christ has done that for you, that Jesus Christ has come into the world for you, then it means that you are so loved and affirmed that there's no need for your heart to go sucking affirmation from everywhere else. There's no need to feel superior. Because your heart has the resources that it needs. Let me close with this. This monk wrote this back in the 1600s. He said, I greatly long to understand Paul's epistle to the Galatians. And nothing stood in the way but that one expression, by faith alone. Because it took, I took it to mean that justice, whereby God is just and deals justly in punishing the unjust. Uh, My situation was that although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner troubled in conscience and had no confidence that my merit would assuage him. Therefore, I didn't love just an angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. Night and day I pondered until I saw the connection between the justice of God and the statement that man is saved by faith alone. And then I grasped that. Through gift and sheer mercy, God saves us through faith. 
And thereupon I felt myself beginning to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. And when I saw that law meant one thing and gospel the another, I broke through. That monk was a guy called Martin Luther. And he went through as a, as a monk by candlelight and he went through and he read exactly the same words that if you dare to do it this week, exactly the same words that you're going to read through and we're going to read through in the next six weeks. And when he saw that one verse that, that, that a person is justified by faith alone, he broke through and he went and he tackled institutionalized religion like the world has never seen. He tackled it head on. And they're out to hunt him down and to kill him. And he fought against it. And a whole bunch of other people fought against it. And they protested against it. And then they became known as the Protestants. And he gave birth to the whole arm of religion, if you want to call that. That whole arm of history of which we are a part of. Because by the power of the Holy Spirit and by this incredible thing called the Word of God, he broke through and he saw the gospel for what it really was. Guys, this stuff is dynamite. Guys, are we too calm? <laughs> are we way too calm? If anything, if God is going to do anything in and through us, we have got to learn, as Paul is saying over the coming weeks, if we're going to be a church that's dynamic and powerful, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to lose our religion. I'll leave it with you. Let's pray.